I'm thankful for Max and for Ben and so many others that on a weekly basis stand up here and lead our hearts in worship. I'm thankful for our young men. Uh, we have some great young men that are here that do a wonderful job, and I'm thankful for their willingness and their eagerness to help us in worship and to lead our hearts before the throne of God. Uh, before we start, let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you thanking you for the opportunity that we have today to open up your word, to study, Father, to hear a message from you. Father, I pray that I can step away and allow you to speak through me, to speak through your word. Father, to convict every one of us that are here, for all those that are listening online. Father, we pray that we can leave today having a faith that is deeper and a faith that is more convicted in you. Father, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for his life. We're thankful for his willingness to go to the cross. But Father, as we're going to talk about today, we're thankful that he came out of that tomb so that one day we too can come out of the graves and we can be with you forever. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for allowing your spirit to live in our lives, to guide our lives. Father, we pray every day that we can be the people that you want us to be. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be today. Um, as we've been walking with Jesus all throughout uh, this year, the story that uh, we come to this week uh, that Ben told me is Jesus and Lazarus. Uh, but we're going to kind of step aside from the story of Jesus and Lazarus, maybe just a little bit. We're going to recall it throughout the lesson. But the title for today's sermon is Hope Beyond the Grave. Um, every one of us have gone through tough times. Uh, we know that death is a very tragic thing. And just as Jesus called Lazarus out of that tomb, we're going to talk about how Jesus himself came out of the tomb and how we one day if the Lord allows our lives to end, that we too can come out of the tomb and never have to fear death ever in this life. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1, says this, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and to be crucified on the third day and rise. Every one of us in our lives longs for for and needs to hear good news. Many of you have experienced troubles in your relationships, in your families. Some of you have experienced troubles with your finances. Some of you have had business struggles. Others of you have experienced major health problems. And it seems like all of us from time to time experience spiritual dilemmas that seem to get us down. For a few of you, this has been a year of loss, a year of hurt, in a year of grief. But this is the way the world works. We understand that there's always a lot more bad news than there is good. The early disciples could relate to such a situation for they were filled with defeat and despair. Because of the abundance of bad news, most of us are always ready and are overjoyed to receive good news. Certainly the followers of Jesus in the first century could use some of the good news as they were going to the burial place of their Savior. 
But I want you to think about as they went to the tomb, do you think that they thought that they would experience any good news? You know, we go to cemeteries, we go to funerals, we go to places where our loved ones are laid to rest, and it's a place of grief. It's a place of sadness. It's a place of hopelessness. And it surely is not a place of good news. But God has a way of working and bringing good news in the worst possible circumstances. On that early Sunday morning, the followers of Jesus heard the greatest news that we could ever hear in our lives. For he is not here, but he is risen. For Jesus is alive. That is the good news from the graveyard that we're going to talk about this morning. In fact, this good news is so great that it far supersedes any tragedy or any trouble that we will ever face in this life. Now think about it. It's a marvelous and miraculous thing that a man could be beaten with 39 strikes. He can be struck with his fist. He can be have a crown of thorns placed on his head. He could be nailed to a cross, have that sword put into his side, wrapped in a burial cloth, and placed in a tomb for three days and still come out of it. There can be little doubt that this was the most marvelous and amazing miracle that has ever happened in the history of mankind. But I want you to know this morning that the miracle of Jesus coming out of the tomb is validated. It is such a genuine thing. The eyewitnesses of Jesus' crucifixion and the resurrection, the Roman guards who supervised the punishment that was handed to him, and the totally and radical committed disciples, even unto the death, all attested to the reality that Jesus came out of the tomb. You see, without that Sunday morning, the name of Jesus Christ would be about as recognizable as the name Thudius. Who, you may ask, is Thudius? That's the point. He lived in Israel several years before Jesus. He was in his time a great teacher, a great leader of many people in that time. He had hundreds of followers. But when he offended the wrong people, guess what happened? He was put to death, and his followers were scattered. It sounds kind of familiar, right? Then why haven't we heard of him? Because after the death, all of his followers saw everything that had happened, and they chose to leave and desert and to scatter everything that they were following and everyone forgot about this man and who he was. When Jesus died, it looked like the same thing was going to happen. Before he was even dead, the overwhelming majority of his followers, of his closest friends, of his disciples, had all scattered and deserted him. In fact, we remember the right-hand man of Jesus, right? The apostle Peter, the man that Jesus looked at and said, based upon his confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he would build his church. He called Peter a rock, but that rock crumbled like sand when Jesus was facing death. Peter deserted him, he denied him, and he denied ever having anything to do with the man that would give up his life for him. Peter went back to his ordinary life, but when Jesus died, it appeared that his cause would die with him, that everyone would leave that everyone would desert everything that Jesus had stood for and that he would become as obscure as these first century teachers whose followers left them. But oddly enough, we know the story didn't end that way, did it? The followers of Jesus didn't fade into oblivion. Actually, 
They came back bolder and more courageous than they ever had before. But what happened? What changed for a man to go to the cross, to die for every one of his disciples and all of his followers to desert him to where he would stand alone in death? What happened? I think the only thing that happened was he came out of the tomb, that he was resurrected. The only explanation that we have is that Jesus had the power over death and it changed the course of humanity. The resurrection is not a religious myth. It's not an invention that was made up of man to just you know, suggest positive thinking or to inspire us with some false hope. The resurrection of Jesus is good news for his followers, for those of us that are Christians, because it brings wonderful assurance into our lives. The world could use some assurance today. The world could use some hope. They could use some good things because of everything that's happening in the world. We want to know that things are certain. We want to know that this is real. We want to know that this happened because it can shape the course of our eternity. Some things are just too important to not be sure of. For example, when you invest your money, you want to invest with someone or you want to invest in a way that allows you not to lose the money that you've invested. When I drive across the bridges, when I take Emmy to my parents' house, I want to know that the bridge that I'm driving on is going to be there when I cross it. And it's going to be there while I'm driving on top of it. I like to play it safe a lot of times in my life because I want to be certain about the things that I'm doing. But I especially, and I think you would agree, do not want to take a chance on spiritual issues like the identity of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus that will affect my eternity forever. There is just too much at stake for us to be uncertain the good news is that none of us have to be in doubt about these important issues. The resurrection of Jesus gives us some wonderful assurances. And there are three that I want us to think about today. Flip over to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. We find the first assurance that we find in the resurrection of Jesus and in his power over death. The resurrection of Jesus and the power over death that Jesus has assures me that I'm following the right person. It's something that we all want to be sure of. We want to follow the correct people. We want to know that the person that is leading my life is someone that I can trust in and someone that I can believe in. Starting in chapter 1 or verse 1, Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to especially note the last phrase that says this, that Jesus was declared with power to be the son of God. But how? By his resurrection from the dead. In other words, God did not leave us without real evidence, without things that we can see and hold on and trust in. He did not leave us without a declaration of who was the genuine person that we were listening to, the genuine person that we were committing our lives to, and that we were going to follow for the rest of our life. This is vital because you don't want to make the mistake 
about such an issue. There are so many people today in our world and in our society and so many philosophies that claim to be the truth or the way to God. Jesus was declared with the power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. He has done something that could only be done if what he said and claimed were true. This is what the good news from the graveyard really is. There are many philosophies or approaches to life that are all trying to gain your attention. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in the garage working and I had two young men come knock on my kind of garage door. It was about halfway up and they saw a light and they said, hey, can we tell you about Jesus? Can we tell you about God? And I said, sure. I said, Let, let's sit down and let's talk about things. But I want you to know one thing. They didn't open up the Bible at all. They didn't want to talk about the Bible. They wanted to talk about some other things. And that's what our world is doing is putting all of their thoughts into who we are to follow, but who's the real person to follow. There is the atheist that says there is no God. And it's an appeal to freedom from the rules that I can live however I choose to live and however I want to. There's humanism that says that man is the measure of all things or the pinnacle of the universe. And it appeals to our human pride. And then there's hedonism, which basically says to eat, drink, be merry, live your life however you would like to. And it appeals to our desire to engage in selfish the world is saying, live the way you want to live. Live how you want to. Things the way you want to do it. Growing up, I've heard this phrase that a lot of people, whenever somebody would want to study with them, well, let's just agree to disagree. Let's just agree to do things however you want to do them, and that'll be right for you. And let's agree for me to do things how I want to do them, because that's the right way for me. So who do I follow? I follow the man that came out of the tomb. Because he's the one that has the power of God. And he has shown that so clearly to us. Despite all these philosophies and their appeal, we know to follow Jesus because he is the one that has proven that he has the power over the resurrection. This one act validates everything. Everything that he said and everything that he commanded. His resurrection brings assurance to me that I'm not on the wrong path that I'm not on the wrong track, and that I'm following the person that can lead me to life. My desire in this life is to live. Uh, I've heard that so often when I've been around Ben and Lonnie, when they talk about it, if I was to take your head and I was to push it under the water, you would fight with everything that you had to do what to get that last breath. I want to follow the person that can lead me to life because that's my desire that's what I want more than anything in this world. That is what I want for my daughter, for my wife, for my family, for every one of you to eternally live together. And Jesus coming out of that grave validates that we are following the person that can lead us to life. But then there's another assurance. The second assurance is this, that Jesus assures my life that I am truly forgiven. I love second chances. Uh, I've needed plenty of throughout my life. And the resurrection of Jesus, the power that Jesus had over death does what? It assures me that I have unlimited second chances as long as I'm doing my best to live for Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Luke read, verse 17, says this. 
And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What a terrible verse. What's a discomforting, a disheartening verse. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But thanks be to God that Jesus has the power over death. In this passage, the apostle Paul is dealing with the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. One thing that he states is this, if Christ had not been raised, that we are still living in our sins, which is another way of saying that you are not truly forgiven. Had Jesus not come out of that tomb, had he not had the power over death, then there would be no hope for you and there would be no hope for me. If Jesus had remained in the grave, it would have meant that God had not found Jesus' sacrifice acceptable for my sins. The resurrection was not only proof of who Jesus was, but also of everything that he had done. We don't have to wonder or waver about the forgiveness of our personal sins because the judge of the entire of the entire universe has made his decision Jesus's sacrifice was enough to remove the guilt of every wrong and the resurrection is proof that God has fully accepted the payment for my sins I am fully forgiven if I am found in Jesus. I have zero doubts if I am found in Jesus. And we don't have to live with the uncertainty as to our status as citizens of heaven because our sins have been forgiven. Growing up, I remember a lot of times I would talk to my parents and I would say, you know, I did this. I think I'm lost. I think I'm saved. I think I'm lost. I think I'm saved. Have you ever been there and it just drives you crazy? You know, because you're sitting here going, I don't know, I do know, I don't know, I do know. And we, and we straddle this fence. But because Jesus came out of the tomb, we don't have to worry about that anymore. As Cameron said in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, if I walk in the light as he is in the light, he is faithful to cleanse me. The blood of Jesus takes care of those sins. And I don't have to worry anymore. I don't have to walk out of this building today going, I don't know, I do know, I don't know, I do know. That's why John in 1 John chapter 5 says, I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. Every one of you that are here today knows and can know whether or not you are saved or whether or not you are lost. And it's your decision to make that choice. But God has given you the ability to not have to worry and to not have to stress about where your eternal destination is. Jay Leno tells a story of his immigrant, immigrant mother who lived in constant fear of being deported. He said that you could miss up to four questions on the citizenship test, and he said that his mom missed five. The question she flunked on was this, what is the Constitution of the United States? The answer Leno's mother gave was a boat, which isn't entirely wrong. You see, the USS Constitution was docked in Boston where they lived, but the judge instantly denied her citizenship. Jay says his father stormed up to the judge and said, what is this? Let me see the test. She's not wrong. The Constitution is a boat. The judge rolled his eyes and said, no, the Constitution is our basic governing, and before he could get it out, Jay said his father goes, yeah, but it's also a boat in Boston. The Constitution, same thing, come on. The judge looked at her, looked at him, and couldn't take it anymore. He said, fine, she's a citizen, now get out of here. 
Jay said to his father, said to his mom, you've passed. But his mom looked up with tear-filled eyes and said, no, I didn't. They're going to come after me. Jay Leno says from that point on, anytime his mother was in the proximity, close proximity of a policeman, she quaked with fear and she would try and hide. He said when he took her to Scotland in 1983, she asked, will I ever be able to get back in the country? Jay said he looked at his mom and said, Ma, don't worry. That was 50 years ago. And he said it never ended. You see, some people, and maybe some of us today, have that same remaining fear about our forgiveness. But I want you to know they're unnecessary. They don't do you any good. They will never benefit you. And we don't have to worry because the resurrection and Jesus' power over death makes my forgiveness a certainty. There's great news from the graveyard this morning. You don't have to live with uncertainty. You do not have to be uncertain about who Jesus was. And you most certainly do not have to worry about your standing with God. Because Jesus' power over death assures me that he is the true person to follow. And he's the correct person, but then it assures me also that I'm truly forgiven. But the resurrection of Jesus also brings another assurance to our lives. And it's a very important part of our lives. It's our death. We know that it's been appointed for man to die, and then comes the judgment. You see, the resurrection of Jesus and the power that Jesus has over death assures me that there is hope beyond the grave. Friday afternoon, I had the highest honor of preaching our cousin's funeral. He was 25 years old. It was tragic. It was sad. And it seemed like it was a time of hopelessness because of someone who had left this earth too soon. As I was around the family at the visitation and the funeral, the only words that I would hear were tragic, terrible, sad. And it was. It was such a terrible situation. And death is every one of those things except for the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection assures us that that wasn't the final moment. There wasn't a period at the end of that funeral because we have hope that we will see our loved one again because of what Jesus did for us. We have hope beyond the grave, hope that is more than wishful thinking. That was the most beautiful part of the funeral is that we could stand there and know without a shadow of a doubt that we get to see our loved one again because of what Jesus did. We didn't have to just hope the way that our world uses this idea of hope, that I hope that I get it, just off a whim or taking a chance. But I can have an expectation of knowing that I will be with him again. Jesus proved by his own resurrection that the grave was not the end and that it doesn't need to be feared because he has proven that he has that power. You see, in the story of Jesus and Lazarus, I've heard from a young age a lot of old-time preachers go, do you know why Jesus called Lazarus by name? And we've all heard it. Because if you would have said, come, what would have happened? Everybody in the tombs that heard the voice would have come out. 
But he was specific to Lazarus because he had that much power. And it is that same power that gives us the hope beyond the grave. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 18 through 20, and then verse 55 says this. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Don't miss that. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 55, O death, where is your victory? And O death, where is your sting? Paul's point here is that because Jesus was indeed raised from the dead, he has achieved the victory and shown us that he has the power over our worst and most dreaded enemy, and that is death. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died as Christians. Another way of saying that is that his resurrection was the first of many. His resurrection is the evidence of many more to come. How beautiful is that? That when we look to the resurrection of Jesus, we too know that that is just the first of many more that will be to come. It's like the early fruit at harvest time, like the evidence that it is of the full harvest to come later. Even though death still occurs, it no longer has the sting it once had because Jesus achieved the victory and has given us the assurance of hope beyond the grave. There's a story of a young man or a father and a young man driving down an old country road. They were driving in a pickup truck with the windows down in the fall, enjoying the beautiful countryside. When all of a sudden a bee flies into the window. You see the young boy, the son, was highly allergic to bees. So the father reached out and grabbed the bee with his hand. But then he opened up his hand to let the bee fly again. The young boy becomes even more frantic, even more scared, but the father points to the palm of his hand and says, do you know what this is? And the young boy goes, what is it? He said, it's the stinger of the bee. You no longer have to be afraid and you no longer have to worry because I have taken the sting for you. That's what Jesus did when he went to the cross and when he came out of that tomb. The resurrection of Jesus assures me that I'm following the right person. It assures me that I don't have to worry about where my sins are because he's given us the power over death and he's taking control of our sins. But then the resurrection and the power that Jesus has over death assures me that death is not the final stop. And it assures me that I have hope beyond the grave. In the United States, each of the 50 states has a nickname. Florida is known as the Sunshine State. New York is called the Empire State. Ohio is the Buckeye State. But Missouri is known as the Show Me State. Missouri's nickname can be traced to a speech that was made by one of her congressmen named Hillard Duncan Vandiver. He was speaking in Philadelphia in 1899. And Vandiver said this, Frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfies me, for I am from Missouri. You have to show me. Jesus has given us more than words this morning. He has shown us. And in the process, he has given us assurance of hope beyond the grave. 
We have truly received good news from the graveyard this morning. But I want you to think about your life. Is death good news for you? I think a lot of times it, it, we think of that it can never be good news, that it can never be something that we can rejoice in. But as we did this weekend at our cousin's funeral, we rejoiced because our loved one had gone on to meet his reward, because our loved one was now in a better place, and that's good news. First John chapter 5 and verse 13, we said it earlier, John says, I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. This morning, do you know that? Do you know that with a shadow, without a shadow of a doubt, that if the Lord were to come back, or it was your time to be called home, would you spend eternity with him? That's what he wants. That's what he desires. That's why Jesus was so willing to go to the cross so that he could spend forever with you. Maybe today you haven't given your life over to Jesus that you don't know, or maybe that you do understand that you're away from Jesus. He calls you to believe in him, to repent, to confess him, to be immersed into the waters of baptism. As Cameron said this morning, to come in contact with the blood of Jesus and have your sins washed away. Won't you do that? That's all we desire. That's what we urge is for you to commit your life to Jesus, but maybe you've walked away. Maybe you're someone that's, that was committed to him, but maybe that commitment has kind of dimmed out in your life. There would be nothing more that we would want to do than to hug you, than to pray with you, and to encourage you. Hope beyond the grave. Hope beyond this life. Do you have it? If you don't, why won't you come as we stand and as we sing?